The Discussing Network presents Discussing Who, a Doctor Who podcast. I am Kyle Jones, and I will start this week, since I remember actually starting last week with Clarence Brown, I'm going to start this week with Lee Shackelford. Lee, how are you? I'm Grant. I'm Grant and, and glad to be more than one inch tall. Indeed. I always yes. thought that you were a gentleman of stature. Stature. Yes. Well done. And speaking of someone who is also of stature, <laughs> yes, Clarence Brown, how are you? It's a giant snake. <laughs> I'm, doing, I'm doing good, man. Just um, imagine a giant recorder. Oh, boy. <laughs> to that I say boo. <laughs> Boo-hoo. Literally, boo-hoo. Hmm. So how are you, my friend? How are you? Uh, I'm doing well, man. I got my first shot today. So um waiting for that next shot to drop soon. And yeah, I want to be uh, ready for the summer, as most people are, hopefully are getting ready as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, I will be getting my second shot tomorrow. Excited about that. And it's just so interesting that a year ago this time we were all transitioning, not necessarily all, two thirds of us were in a way transitioning to working from home and not knowing how long that would be. And here we are a year later talking about getting a vaccine. And that is truly a miracle and, you know, not being political, but being health conscious to anyone listening, please go get a vaccine, save yourself, save others and be well. Yeah. So. Yeah. It was just about a year ago that we were supposed to be doing Wi-Fi Sci-Fi Live, featuring the three of us in a live episode of Relativity. So, blah. Blah. But, you know, I'm I'm glad we didn't go. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. I mean, uh, since the venue where we were performing and the airlines all shut down, I don't know how we were going to get there, but yeah, it, it is amazing. We should have known something when they said it was hosted by Gated Galaxies. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, Sweden. But, you know, then we did uh, we did the live episode uh, streaming, and I'm hoping that we'll do something else like that again sometime soon. Ooh. So, I don't know, you know? The, the talent is there. We just got to get it all together. But, yeah, you guys are making me sick with you and your vaccines and stuff because I, I can't get one for love nor money. But um, I'm on the waiting list. Well, your time will come, whether we have to teleport you here or whatever we have to do, your time will come. <laughs> well, and don't don't let me forget, but Planet of the Giants had me thinking about people wearing masks. So we'll get to that. But yeah, don't let me forget. All right. So I'm writing down. Thank you. You're welcome. So gentlemen, speaking of, we were talking about going back a year to last March. I had a little bit of news or something that was in the news that I totally missed from the first of this month, and I want to go back to read a little bit of, of a synopsis, and this is from 2016, so just read just a little bit of this here, not read the whole thing, just a little bit. Hmm. It says, in this episode, we talk about the long hiatus and the new showrunner for the BBC hit science fiction drama, Doctor Who. With Stephen Moffat out after the next series and Chris Chibnall coming in, what can we expect? All that and more in the exciting first episode, hosted by Kyle Jones, Clarence Brown, and Uh Lee Shackelford. Five years. Woo-hoo. Wow. 
Good Lord. Doesn't seem like it, does it? I know. Five years, 230-some-odd episodes later, we're still alive and kicking. Five years, 230-plus episodes, and a pandemic. We're still here. That's right. And we are still here. Yes. Uh, Yeah. Congratulations, gentlemen. Well, uh, and also with you. You remind me that uh, I read something on um, social media, which is, you know, sometimes not a good idea, where somebody was uh, saying that they, in so many words, that they hope that uh, Chris Chibnall died. Oh, no. It it made me sad, because this is obviously a Doctor Who fan. Somebody calls themselves a Doctor Who fan, and, and we do our, our part to pick on uh, Chibs, but um, I do not hope that he dies. No, not at all. Absolutely I not. I don't think that's that's in the spirit here. So, shame, shame. I also think that now or sometime soon might be a good time for us to maybe reassess what the fandom means to different IPs. You know, in this case, Doctor Who. But I mean, we saw where rather recently uh, Zack Snyder redid something through fan demand, fan um, anticipation, and it's better. So, um, hmm. <laughs> we live in weird times. Somebody should write an article about it, Clarence. I think you should. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I know. I think you're exactly right. I, I, I know this is this is maybe not the place to talk about it, but I, I really think that uh, Star Wars as a franchise got got hurt by its own fans, and and there it hangs. Um, I, I just think it's too bad. Well, I think this is an excellent conversation for the three of us to have on an upcoming episode of Discussing Comics. Ah. But that being said, there is someone or a bunch of someone or a whole lot of someone. I hope it's a whole lot of someone hmm. that also are at the table here when we're talking about five years. There are people like our friend Matthew Turnage, who has been listening to us from the very beginning. Amazing. Dave Cooper and a host of many more, and I'm going to stop with those two names because I do not want to forget anyone. So I will say for all of you that have been listening from the very beginning, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, and one more thank you for being with us from the very beginning, for spending hours and hours with us. We appreciate it. Truly, think truly of, appreciate Think it. of how much time, think of all the constructive things you could have done with the time that you've wasted sitting here. No, I, no, thank you. Seriously, <laughs> you, you, could have, you could have been listening to anything in the world, and you chose to spend it with us, and we're so grateful. But the cool thing about this is, it's a journey. If you go back and listen to some of our episodes, and I'm going to use myself as an example, and then we'll stop talking about ourselves and then move on <laughs> to the, what we're here for. Oh. But it's, it's, a, it's a character piece almost in how we learn and develop the craft. Because when we started with episode one, I knew practically nothing about editing or I was terrified of my own voice, etc. and so forth. And now it just seems like second nature. You know, to get on and just have fun talking to the two of you. Yeah, it is our second nature. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, indeed. indeed. Well, gentlemen, if you do not have anything else, I have something important that I want to say. So anything else from either of you before we move on? No. I'll just give a call to action. So uh, 
You can support the show by subscribing, leaving a review or telling a friend. If you have a review idea, please send that in along with anything else you want us to know or talk about to discussing who at gmail.com or hit us up at discussing who on any and all social medias. So I'm going to take my important quote unquote message and say that what you said was important, but I will just follow that up by saying, if you have not seen Planet of the Giants, put us on pause, go out, watch the episode, come back, because from this moment forward, spoilers. Spoilers. Affirmative. Spoilers. Spoilers? What spoilers? And I killed Sparky, too. <laughs> Alrighty, the spoiler warning has gone out, and we are back to review Planet of the Giants. This is a first Doctor story airing in three parts between the 31st of October and the 14th of November, 1964. It starred William Hartnell as the first Doctor, Carol Ann Ford as Susan Foreman, William Russell as Ian Chesterton, and Jacqueline Hill as Barbara Wright. Summary view. Clarence Brown, I'll start with you this week. Summary view. What did you think? A great few episodes, a great story of, of Doctor Who. I really enjoyed it for all of the spectacle put into it. Very simple concepts, but the execution I thought was on point. Uh, a much deeper story than I expected on the face of it. And I just love to see what um, Barbara was going through (laughs) Um, throughout this episode. I thought it was interesting on how it was played. It reminded me of definitely of other things, Um, but we'll get into it. But I think I enjoyed the episode, man. Uh, Well, this was a request of mine. So you already know that I I love this, uh, this rare three parter, uh, and it was um, great fun to look back at it from a critical perspective and to, um, to look forward to talking about it, which I know we will. I've told uh, Kyle the story, and maybe we'll go into it in greater depth later, but uh, this this serial is kind of my introduction to Doctor Who, kind of. So, okay. So yeah. before I get into my sum, well, let me give my summary view, and yeah. then I'm going to come back to you because that is actually the first part after oh. summary view that I <laughs> wanted to talk about. Gotcha. So summary view: the last Doctor Who first Doctor episode, our serial that we reviewed, was the Edge of Destruction. I enjoyed watching it, but I don't find it memorable except for a lot of screaming and melodrama (laughs) that they had going on. Other than that, I couldn't recall what was going on right now if you asked me to without going and looking it up. This one, on the other hand, I enjoyed the story and there are story elements that I think that I will remember because of things that we'll, we'll get into later. So, did I enjoy it? Some review? Yes, I did. So, Lee... Introduction to Doctor Who, Planet of the Giants. Take it away. Not the first Doctor Who that I saw by any means. Uh, So kind of weird. But yeah, in 1976, I bought off the news rack a a magazine, which uh, some of our listeners may be familiar with from back then, called Famous Monsters of Filmland. The, uh, The strange, irregularly published magazine... Uh, edited by Fari Ackerman, 
in in issue 126 back there in 1976 Fari Ackerman um had a, a, an article just just a few pages long called The Fantastic Adventures of Doctor Who and it had all these exotic uh publicity photos that they had from this serial over there in the UK that we were just starting to get in the US and I hadn't seen it. It hadn't turned up anywhere that I was watching. And so I was agog over this article. Uh, well, the text uh, I think is kind of provocative. Let's see. The part of it I think is very interesting. And I had said I was going to keep it open on my screen here so I could read you a bit of it. And I've already lost it. No, uh, he says that um, there are four serials that we've seen in the U.S., and he names them, and, they're, and I know them. They're all Third Doctor adventures. So what he's seen is John Pertwee. He's seen the Third Doctor. Um, he's explaining the premise in the article, and he says that the Doctor is, you know, uh, a Time Lord from Gallifrey. He knows that. And he says, um, but something went wrong, and when Doctor Who landed in London, he became stranded on our planet. Um, so he's saying that's sort of the origin story. Well, if you've only seen the third doctor stories, that's, that's a pretty good guess, you know, mm -hmm. yeah, but, yeah. uh, there, there, so he's got a lot of information, but some of it is also hilariously wrong. Uh, <laughs> the, he talks in one about, um, seeing one that where there's, uh, uh, something that looks like a metal rat. And he says, this we will learn later is a Cyberman. But confusingly, there's also a photo that they have that was correctly identified as being of Cybermen. So yeah, anyway, um, so it's clear he's guessing about a lot of this stuff. But uh, because I've always been fascinated by anything that's perfectly gigantic or perfectly miniaturized, as we were talking about in uh, Night Terrors, that why my eye went like a laser to them being inside the dollhouse. And I'm saying, eh, I don't buy it because some of that looks like it's small, but some of it doesn't. You know, and it, that yeah. bugged me. Um, this magazine had a photograph of this uh, pretty girl and this handsome young man, and they are confronted by a giant ant. And <laughs> that's all I knew. I saw that photograph and I said, I got to find this TV show. Of course, I had no way of knowing at the time that what I was going to see for years through our PBS stations was Adventures of the Fourth Doctor shown over and over again. You know, we'd get to Legopolis and then start over again with Robot. And then finally, I started seeing um, stations where they would carry from uh, the, the, all of the third and fourth Doctor adventures. We'd start with Spearhead from Space and go to Legopolis and then start over. <laughs> so I knew that there were other Doctors, but, you know, it, it was going to be decades before I would finally see uh, anything involving the first to second Doctors, um, apart from the three Doctors or things like that. And then finally, relatively recently, finally saw Planet of the Giants, including that moment um, that had turned me on to Doctor Who in the first place. And the happy ending of the rest of the story is that I have a still of that photo. The first thing that hooked me on Doctor Who, and I was able to bring it to Gallifrey when William Russell was there. And so my copy of that photograph is signed by Ian. Oh, man. And awesome. obviously it remains my life goal to get the autograph of uh, the ant. No, of <laughs> Caroline Ford. 
There you go. That's my whole Planet of the Giants story. You know, what's really cool about that is we take, well, we take it for granted that we can go to BritBox here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And if you're subscribed to that, we've got a whole section of Classic Who that we can a la carte pull whatever we want to see and just watch it, not depend on PBS playing Dr. Four. Over and right, over, exactly. Yeah, after my searching for it for years, it was now no trouble at all, barely an inconvenience for the three of us to just dial up Planet of the Giants this week so we could look at it and talk about it. And it's amazing. amazing. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, it is. So we mentioned a few minutes ago, and Lee, I think you're the one that mentioned this, that hmm. you, you pointed out that this was a three-part story. Yeah. So my question is, and I'm going to point this to Clarence, you know, we have talked before about these six and four uh, episode stories with the classic era. Did you enjoy having just three episodes? Do you think it could have been four? Do you think it would have been too long if it was four? What do you think? Oh, four would have definitely definitely been too long. And that's kind of my feeling on most of the four plus parters is that it's a lot of filler or a lot of just stretching out the story for stretching out or time's sake. Uh, so I really like that this was a, a three parter and, you know, more so a simple story, but it, it wasn't a lot of fluff, I feel. And, you know, it was some downtime, but it wasn't enough to. Hmm make me not want to keep watching uh, as it has been in, in some of the other uh, arcs that we've we've watched. Okay, Lee, what about you? Do you think this would have worked as a four-parter? No, and I, I'll tell you some trivia about this episode. Um, it was not only written to be a four-parter, it was shot as a four-parter. <sighs> so in the 11th hour, they uh, cut it, recut it, so we're no longer performing parts of this live, apparently, but um, they recut parts of it so that it would only be three parts long. And the result is some some curious jumps. Uh, there's there's one in the first part where Ian seems to appear out of nowhere. Uh, you may have noticed. Um, and I think that's that's a, a, a side effect of some of the cuts. But, uh, yeah, everybody involved would just sort of looked at this and said, yeah, this is not enough story to sustain for four episodes, <laughs> which, you know, in later years, that's not going to stop them. Unfortunately, <laughs> they're going to go on with it. But here's the thing that intrigues me is that they still had an order for a certain number of episodes for the season. So how could they dare to take one of their episodes out by taking a four-parter that's running too long and make it a three-parter? Because mm. the next serial that's going to conclude the season and conclude Carol Ann Ford's contract... <laughs> is the Dalek Invasion of Earth. And I think they knew that as long as it's got the D word in the title, they can do anything they want. (laughs) So they actually added, that means they've got an extra episode now for Dalek Invasion of Earth, which is a serial that I love, but it is a tad long. So let me amend, or or let me add to, because the way I read that story, and that's cool that we've read it or heard about it in different ways. Yeah. So the way I heard the story went was this story was originally intended or was shot actually as part of the first shooting block along with or around the time of an unearthly child. So it was in season one that it was shot. They held it for season two 
And they wanted to use Dalek Invasion of Earth as the premiere of season two. But they could not do that because that was Carol Ann Ford's leaving. So they had to put this as the premiere of season two. Yeah. Curious to see who is right. Who yeah. Right. Well, I think both of those things can be true. That's that's just that's very interesting. But uh, it, it does make a lot of sense. But yeah. what is universally true yeah. is it started out as four and went to three. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I have a trivia question for both of you. Mm. In classic who we know that there is two, four and a six part structure. Other than this, which has a three, what other story was also the exception to this single two, four, or six-part structure in classic Who? Name the serial. Well, War Games is ten, but you yep. mean... That, that's what I was looking for. That's it. War, War Games. Yeah. And again, it's a, it's a series ender. It's the end of an actor's contract. It's, yeah. Ten. Wow. Yeah. yeah. But you know what? <laughs> if you haven't seen it, um, yeah, there are times when you'll say, this could have been shorter, but by golly, it's a pretty thrilling story for 10 parts. But yeah, I, I think what, what the thing that we're all agreeing on here is three is just right for the story. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of fun. If somebody had said this to me, here, uh, you get to write this episode. Uh, here's the pitch. The, uh, the TARDIS lands on Earth in 1964. Hooray! Ian and Barbara can go home, right? No, because they're one inch tall. Because <laughs> the TARDIS is about time and relative dimension in space. So yeah. sometimes this kind of thing is going to happen. And I would say, that's great! I'm going to write this episode. Okay, so they're an inch tall. Um, and then what? <laughs> well, so that, what happens that, is, to me, really completely unexpected. It turns into a... A crime drama to a murder mystery, uh, or not a murder mystery. We we know who done it, but uh. so could they not get back to their correct time when they wanted to? Mm-hmm. Not in this, not in this time frame. You know, back then he basically couldn't control it. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, that makes one of my questions makes more sense because I was, I was asking myself why didn't they just get back in the TARDIS and fix their size immediately? Right. Uh, which they still could have did, but they were trying to solve the mystery, which came a little bit later. But, but yeah, um, that, that actually helps the story for me. <laughs> they don't know where they're going. Right. Yeah. 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 The, the TARDIS is not under the doctor's control, no matter what he says. Um, and that's true of the first and second doctors. Mm-hmm. So it won't be until the doctor gets his, gets the keys to the car back at the end of the third doctor's time that we'll, We'll start being able to go <laughs> to go somewhere in particular. Um, yeah. And apparently things get broken when the TARDIS door is open. So, yeah, I, I, I think that's probably something we have to talk about. Uh, is that because once they figure out what's going on about their why, why there's a big earthworm and a big ant and so on, Susan says everything else isn't bigger. We're smaller. Ian says, that's ridiculous. She says, oh, work it out for yourself. The doors of TARDIS opened. That means the space pressure caused us to reduce. Yeah, space pressure. Yeah. <laughs> if there's one thing you got to watch out for, it's space pressure. So I can explain the vortex. <laughs> I can explain that. Okay. I Yeah. <laughs> Rule number one, the doctor lies. And oh. he lied to his granddaughter. 
oh stop it i hate no. it when we use that <laughs> no 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 he see that that's not good for people you don't you don't tell them things that are wrong about physics you don't <laughs> and what we will see much later like in uh in flatline right um when the tardis's uh, exterior dimensions are not matching with the interior um that's what is that what that episode's called yes yes flatline right um and I just love it for all the same reasons that I love this, of course, um, that um, it makes sense that the, the TARDIS is called what it is, because it's not just about traveling through time, but also through space. It's distorting that the inside is bigger than the outside is. I mean, it, it's a wonder that things like this don't happen more often where you land and you're an inch tall, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... So this, so I kind of wonder why they didn't go for that immediately instead of this uh, this double talk. The space pressure caused us to reduce, but you know, whatever. Well, you know, I'm, let me bring up one other plot point that was introduced later in the story, as in the whole story of Doctor Who, which hmm. is I took you not where you wanted to go, but where you needed to go. Mm-hmm. I, I know that's a Another are this that is another version of the proverbial get out of jail free card, but it kind of works for me in the concept of why did they just randomly appear here and then all of a sudden they're in the middle of a murder? Well, well, that's true. It works if I look at it from the TARDIS took them where they needed to go and maybe purposely miniaturize them so that they could do the things they did well yeah i actually love that because how else would they have you know found out what was going on here i mean there's really no way unless they're they have they're small and they can you know sneak and creak and (laughs) get into intimate places that no other way they'd be able to to get to and um the thing i wrote at the end of my little notes here i wrote some ideals are worth revisiting. And I just, you know, kind of going through my head like, oh, why can't we solve other problems by getting bigger, or getting smaller? Um, to me, it's just such a great idea. And when you when you realize what the TARDIS is, um, it seems like that will be explored a little bit more, you know, uh, especially in situations when they have to go into dangerous places and. Uh, by default, their size is going to cause them more problems. You know? uh-huh. Maybe it'd be small this this episode to, you know, get into a certain place we couldn't get otherwise. In fact, about the time I was buying that copy of uh, Famous Monsters of Filmland there, uh, I was watching a TV show, uh, Hanna-Barbera cartoon at, at that time, about the adventures of Inch High Private Eye. Mm. who was a secret agent who uh, could drink a potion and become an inch tall and he could get around and do exactly the kind of things you're talking about. So that's yeah. cool. Yeah. And look at this. Speaking of what you just said, Clarence, to the size thing, we have a MCU character called Ant-Man who can grow mm-hmm. and shrink. That's right. Yeah. And over across the street, they had the atom who can do the same. And indeed they do. Yeah. Indeed they do. So, Let's talk a minute while they were small. Mm-hmm. They encounter two people. Mainly, I want to talk about Forrester. What did you guys think of the character 
the gangsterish character <laughs> Forrester. And Clarence, I'll start with you. What did you think of Forrester? Oh, man. Uh, we have some of the two most despicable types <laughs> of humans in this episode. <laughs> uh, of course, we have Mr. Forrester, which is the rich, you know, um, the money behind a project in just the most despicable type of person. All he cares about the money and is willing to kill to keep the money coming. So, um, yeah, I just hated him <laughs> to make it simple. Um, and, uh, poor, poor Mr. Uh, Farrell. He's just, he's just trying to do his job. Yeah. He, he doesn't want to see, uh, this insecticide, his DN6 getting the wrong places, but you know, Mr. Farrell has, uh, Mr. Forrester has money involved in this. And when it comes to the money, uh, he's willing to kill. <laughs> As they say, the root of all evil. <laughs> so, Lee, what say ye? Oh, yeah, I got to agree. I mean, yeah, he is. He's, he's the lowest of the low. And, and he does. I'm trying to find the quote again here in the transcript. He, but he, he does. He says, you know, I've got too much money in this. I had no choice but to kill him. I'm always mm. fascinated by people who say, I had no choice. <laughs> well, there's... I can think of several other choices than to murder this man, but you know that's the way he sees it. So, but and he's not just willing. To, reality, that's right. Well, and and of course he's not just willing to kill Pharaoh. He's willing to kill everything and everybody because he knows he's been told what DN six is and what it can do. But yeah, he didn't care. I'm not going to be around it. So there you go. Mm-hmm. So I thought that this guy was. The actor did mm -hmm. such a marvelous job of being a crummy human being. I mean, totally spot on. And for some reason, I'm curious if you guys saw this too, he reminded me of Richard Nixon. There was something Nixonian <laughs> little, about him. A little Nixon-y, yeah. Um, I don't know what it was. Maybe it was the hair. Maybe it was the eyes. I'm not sure. But there was something. It, it was like a combination if you merged richard nixon and old school raymond burr together mm -hmm. you would have yeah, this guy you get this guy you're right yeah and in fact i uh i i had to look this actor up because i was very impressed by him and i kind of kind of thought now where have i seen him before and the answer is just about everywhere he he had a long career where he did all kinds of things and uh it's funny. He's one of those characters who is always, you know, when there's a bunch of generals at a table or something, he was one of them, you know? <laughs> uh, it's just his characters, even though he had this long career, uh, a lot of movies, a lot of TV, he's always, you know, man with that tache case, <laughs> things like that. <laughs> but if you know the film Who Framed Roger Rabbit, as I do practically encyclopedically, he's R.K. Maroon. The, the studio is Maroon Cartoons. And... uh that's probably where he's on camera for the longest, except for Planet of Giants. But, uh, yeah, he's the one who plays Patty Cake with Jessica Rabbit. Anyway, but that's him. Yeah. <laughs> so what about Smithers? And, Lee, I'll let you go first this time. The scientist who created this, and I would call him, and I'm saying I'll let you take it first, but I'll say this real quick. I will take him and call him Forrester Light. Yeah, he was bad, but not quite. That's right. I, I think that's right. That he he that there's a there's a spectrum here, and there's Pharaoh, and there's 
Forrester on the other end, and Smithers is right there in the middle. He could go either way, and dramatically, that's good, you know? Um, one of the things that's cool about this episode, I think, is that they manage cost by keeping uh, the cast down. But the people we've talked about, they're it, except for Bert and Hilda. And Hilda's the telephone operator. And, so, Clarence, um, what about you? Yeah. What did you think of Smithers? Now, Smithers is the man behind the formula, right? Yes. Yeah, so he just reminded me, and I'm going to kind of compare him to the tech industry. Um, you have all these smart tech billionaires doing stuff, and they just care about the project. I want to get my, my code out there, or get my product out there. The other end, you have Forrester, the, the, the VC, the venture capital money guy, is just trying to make money, but they never think about the people in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's, that's kind of the dynamic here in this episode that I'm kind of seeing. Um, mm-hmm. you have the guys that cares about his project, his, his formula and doesn't really want to see anybody hurt, but you know, he, he's doing his thing now. And then you have the money guy and he's just the, I'm not going to say bright eyed, but he's, he's the scientist guy who just wants to see his product get out there. Cause he thinks it's good. And, uh, with no reverence of anything else of who it might harm in the end. So let me pivot just a little bit, but still keep on the premise that Forrester and Smithers brought to the story, which is the pesticide and the ramifications of using it, the environmental angle. And we've commented most recently in this most recent series of Doctor Who from the 13th Doctor's era where Orphan 55, we felt that it was preachy and I'm not going to go with Benny. I'm not even mm. going to go there. Yeah. But then we there was another episode that was environmental, but there are also classic who the Green Death is one in the third Doctor's era mm-hmm. that was environmental. Do you guys feel like this environmental angle was done well, not done well? What were your thoughts? To me, it's the big pleasant surprise of this episode is that if you're, if, like I was saying before, okay, they're in inch high, now what? Well, they, they uncover some shenanigans. There's this thing going, you know, uh, okay, that's interesting. But wow, this, the, the threat that they've, un, that they, that they are literally in the middle of is, uh, an insecticide that could, that will kill everything. Um, and, and and the venture capitalist guy just doesn't <laughs> he either doesn't believe it or he doesn't care, and that's terrifying. And uh, I I just think that's uh, that's one of the things that's remarkable about this episode. And I, I'm so glad you brought this up because one of the things I was admiring about it, watching it this time, was what a powerful message. And it's just and it's not preachy. They didn't. I don't. I didn't feel like I, I was having my arm twisted to be persuaded to the view of the episode. It's just, it's just, it's just true. It just is. And, uh, uh, and that's always more, more convincing than, um, somebody trying to uh, manipulate you into, or force you into confrontation with the idea that they're selling. That's what I think. All right. Clarence, what do you think? I love that the danger was clear as present is we, we could see it play out on screen. Uh, they weren't, wasn't talking about anything that might happen in the future. Uh, hmm. We saw the insects dying. We, they talked about the effects of it throughout these three episodes and it wasn't something they had to tell us. We, we saw it play out and 
you know, I don't know if I was watching this at the time it came out. I may have would have thought it was on the nose because I'm sure there may have been more talk of pesticides harming people back, you know, possibly when this came out. I don't know as a fact, but I would think maybe so. Um, But I do feel like that message weaved well into the story. Um, It was the. I will say it's the, the, the B story, but maybe not because <laughs> it, it, it definitely, um, was a huge part of the story. And I do feel like it played out well without beating us over the head about it. And I mean, it fit well into the arc of the story without them going out of their way to tell us, you know, you know, pesticides bad. Yep. You know, I mentioned at the beginning of this episode or this review that there was something in this that, made me think and I think any time I may may not have said it exactly like that but ultimately this made me think and I think any time someone can write something to present to the audience to where they are challenged with their own perception and as I said earlier perception is reality and what I mean by that is I've seen many 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 stories in my lifetime, various stories, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, et cetera, and so forth, where something is shrunk and then they get returned to normal size and they've encountered something. But I've never perceived it in a way that I did with this one to where something so ordinary that doesn't even impact me if I was one inch tall instead of five feet 11, that I would be susceptible to something that is around me right now that might destroy me, kill me, whatever, all because I'm one inch tall. And the difference in that size has, you know, the the different dynamic there. And that's going to stick with me because that, that is what I'm going to remember this episode by is the p- premise of what happened to Barbara and the calamity that she had and the crisis as the third episode was called they're trying to ultimately rescue barbara at the end because she's dying of it. yeah and it, it i glance has really got me wondering now um what what was the um awareness in the great gardening nation of england in 1964 this is um because we're we're still arguing about this in the U.S. even now. It's it, it, as as spring is springing around here. I went into our home improvement store down the street the other day, and and they've brought in pallet after pallet after pallet of Roundup, and um, to name names. And I'm not a biologist, but I believe I believe this is true that. People who can't abide having some weeds in their yard are killing our bees and butterflies because Roundup is whatever this stuff is called, DN <laughs> DN six, whatever it is, six six six, because it's <laughs> it's very effective weed killer, but it does kill insect life and and you know people may be afraid of bees, but man, we <laughs> our plants have to have them to pollinate. They do. And if they don't, the plants will die. That's how that works. Um, we don't want that. Uh, so yeah, I, I was just really, 
struck by how, you know, the, how timely this story seemed and, um, and how well it makes its point that they just matter of factly point out that everything that touches this stuff dies. And mm. we have this secret that Barbara is for some reason keeping to herself that she's touched it and she's the size of a bug. Mm -hmm. So yeah, everybody get it. Everybody got it out there. <laughs> <laughs> and she's isn't that just the beauty of this though, for yes. the challenging of our perception, we're not bugs. So right. when we go and spray a can of raid or whatever, you know, like you said, to name a name, mm -hmm. but when we go and spray something at a bug and we get that on our hand because we were spraying it, it's no big deal. We just go wash our hands, whoop de doo and go on. Yeah. Well, she's a tiny person. She's right. got a tiny bit of it on her on her hand. That's all. And so when she grows to adult size, it won't matter. Except they're talking about spraying the whole country with it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, the, the scale is going to, to change. And yeah, it's... Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, this this is really crazy because if you think and I've heard some stories about this and I'm by no no means an expert, but um, also talk about like genetically modified crops and yeah. I mean seeds and this whole industry is just gone kind of off the rails <laughs> uh, and how um, these seeds are copyrighted and you know it's it's copyright is not the right term but you know what I mean. It's, it's, it's just, it, it's really a complicated industry now. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's not at all what we, um, what I feel like we grew up with or what we grew up thinking about. Yeah. Um, it's very strange. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Indeed. So gentlemen, let me ask you, are there any other items that you guys had written down about this story before we get to our favorite quote? Oh, I, I definitely want to talk about Barbara in this episode and um, her, the way she acted in the episode reminded me a lot of, and Kyle, you can relate to this, Walking Dead, where someone gets the bite, but they don't want to tell anyone. Mm. Yes. So we have much of this story where she's already, you know, touched this, this uh, fertilizer with her hands and getting affected with the DN6 and she's trying to hide it for most of the episode and rather conveniently when she gets ready to tell Ian, she he gets, uh, she gets interrupted, but yeah, um, very much reminded me of the walking dead and as, that aspect. Cause I you know she was going to be the walking dead and just uh -huh. <laughs> a little bit if they didn't not get walking. back to the TARDIS. But, but yeah, I, I loved all of that. And I loved her trying to tough it out. And instead of just asking for help, she's there trying to, to just, you know, survive until they get back to the TARDIS. And on top of that, we definitely have to mention what I feel is, you know, again, I say, show me, don't tell me. Mm -hmm. And just the wonderful way of how the doctor, I guess he does tell her at first, oh, when you get bigger, the, the, um, DN6 won't matter because the particles would be so small. They could have just told us that. We could have just went back to the TARDIS and it could have got big and it would have been over. No, my boy. Right. Get that seed or get that uh, it was a grain and put it over there. And I'm going to show you why she's going to be all right when we get back to our normal side. <laughs> so freaking brilliant. Yeah, I do love that. 
And and let me add something real quick before Lee takes over. The whole time I'm watching this, I'm saying, hmm, I don't think I can ever remember the first doctor wearing. Has he ever worn? I'm not sure. Has he worn, has he worn a cape like that before? And then at the end, it makes perfect sense because he uses the cape to pick up the grain. And apparently they were in the 18th century in the story before that. They They mentioned that very briefly, so... I have to think that's what that was about. I don't know what the story before that was, but um, but it was in the 18th century. But it's yeah, so he's he still got some of his his clothes from from that time. Um, uh, th- that's true. I'd forgotten they pretty much went from story to story back then. Raiding the BBC uh, costume warehouse as they go through time, um, which I think was sort of as we know, was was sort of the original concept of the show is that we're going to, uh, maybe we won't go through space so much, but we're certainly going to go through time because um, we can, we can costume that. We have all these set pieces hanging around. We have all these costumes, <laughs> you know, we can do this on the cheap. So it's a time travel story. Um, yeah. But um, the, uh, the first episode we we now we always call these serials from the <laughs> somebody's electronic uh, yes. smart thing. I don't know why I was doing that. Um, looking back on them, now we now we now call these uh, serials um, by their you know like we call uh, the, the the first story we called it all unearthly child, even though that's only the first episode. This one's the same way. It's Planet of Giants, Dangerous Journey, and Crisis. But together we call it Planet of Giants. And I, I noticed that I kept calling it Planet of the Giants because of the Irwin Allen series that I grew up, Land of the Giants, which was, in fact, another planet. And I guess they couldn't call it or they didn't want to call it Planet of the Giants, um, <laughs> even though people in the U.S. in 1968 weren't aware of Doctor Who. But was Irwin Allen or somebody there? Were they aware? Did they see Planet of Giants, and is that really the origin of Land of the Giants? Mm-hmm. Um, one has to wonder. Now, that was another planet, and our heroes of that show were full-size humans, and everybody there was um, six, they were uh, 12 times our size. Um, yeah. So... Um, so those people appeared to be six inches tall, but they were actually full-size people. Um, but yeah, there was that. Um, and um, before that, there was also the uh, the film The Incredible Shrinking Man, uh, based on I mean, that was in 1957, and that's based on Richard Matheson's novel published the year before. So that's nearly uh, ten years. This has been around. Uh, well, seven years by the time we get around to Doctor Who taking on the idea. And both of them have great moments where they're confronted with the worst thing they could think of, the cat. Yeah, um, that was awesome. So um, I just saw Incredible Shrinking Man again recently, and I was amazed to, that the this man's wife um, loses track of her tiny little husband in the house and she sees the cat, and she comes to the conclusion that the cat has eaten him. Oh, no. And then we kind of go away, and the, and the, the man realizes that now he's, he's separated because she's not going to keep looking for him. She thinks he's dead. 
But what struck me about that was is that she keeps the cat as a pet. <laughs> and she I, paid that cat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I just thought she paid the cat. She paid the cat. Yeah. She, <laughs> <laughs> she's been trying to get rid of him for years. No, I. It's funny that there's so many things in that movie that are supposed to give you the creeps. You know, he ends up fighting a spider in the next uh, you know part of the the film and so on. That's much bigger than he is. But uh, yeah, nothing grossed me out like thinking she's still petting that cat that ate <laughs> her husband. If you have seen this cat, call one eight hundred five 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 Cat Crime TV. Exactly. Judas Priest. Well, anyway, um, and of course, uh, I love, love, love Fantastic Voyage, and that's in 1966. Um, and uh, those people go down to the size of a microbe. But, um, but yeah, so, you know, the, the, this is a great time, these, this 10 years here of, of uh, miniaturizing or, or getting people onto the scale where, where a, uh, uh, a wasp or an ant or something like that is a real, real threat to them. Um, and I love the fact that they took the physics seriously. Um, something they didn't always do on Land of the Giants, but, um, Barbara says something about trying to, can we talk to these people? And the doctor says, mm -hmm. well, it's, it's out of my, it's out of the question. How can we possibly communicate with them? And Ian, who is, of course, a scientist, you know, he's he's way ahead of this. He says, yeah, imagine a record played at the wrong speed. We'd sound like a little squeak to them. Or picking up the phone, for that matter. You know, ha having to try to lift the phone. Right. And, yeah, and that's all that's all fun. And I just love that they built, or had, for whatever reason, <laughs> this colossal phone. Um, and Barbara says, uh, yeah, actually it was Susan who, who suggested it. Barbara says, yeah, and if even if we could communicate, what would they do to us? We're freaks. They'd put us in a glass case and examine us through a microscope. Yeah. So, yeah, better that we don't try to talk to them. So, well, I like that. Anyway. Well, I so, like the fact that I've been calling this Planet of the Giants, Ethan, that even as I introduced this episode, even looking it up today, I was typing in Planet of the Giant. Mm -hmm. and, and now I go back and look at it, and my brain was inserting the the. Where yeah. it wasn't right, we we know it's there. Yeah. It's just invisible. Yeah, it's so small. It's so we can't small. See it. <laughs> it's negative one point yes. instead of twenty point or twelve point. Planet but you know what is. is a point? Wow. Your favorite quote. Hmm. And Lee, since this is your favorite or one of your favorites from this era, what was your favorite quote? Well, it's not a it's not a highly quotable episode like the fun things we were quoting from the last few episodes. But, uh, you know, it is the one that I, I come away remembering from this episode. There are many insects which make a vital contribution to agriculture, and those insects must not die. Mm. Mm. I like that. Uh -huh. Clarence Brown, favorite quote. I hope I'm getting this right. I see a huge leg coming. Run! <laughs> <laughs> Good one. All right. <laughs> that does that play actually... on that. That does play on the uh, convention that if something is off camera, you can't see it. You know, which is sort of a hallmark of bad TV and films. But yeah, it, it, when the person is walking toward them, you wouldn't suddenly see their leg. You would see them coming a long way off. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, uh, whatever. All right. So here's mine. First doctor. He says, 
Yes, and I would add an well, yes, and I would add another and more important factor. The people who live in this house are murderers, or one of them is. Therefore, we can't expect sympathy or understanding from an insane or a criminal mind. Mm. Hard to argue with that. Yeah. All right. Favorite scene, and I'll go first on this one. The cat. (laughs) That whole picture, I wanted to like freeze the frame and take a picture of it that close-up of just the cat looking at him was just cool what a great cliffhanger right yes and it was a cat yes so that's my favorite scene the cat yeah all right clarence favorite scene uh i think it might be when mr forrester pulled the gun and we didn't see the shot but I think the doctor, I can't, I'm trying to remember the words. I think they said, um, what was that? A cannon? Yeah. Or something to that effect. <laughs> right. Yeah. They, we, we all heard it. Boom. Yeah. All right. Lee, did you give your favorite scene? I did not. Well, well then what is your oh, favorite scene? Trying to ignite the spray can. Man, that's, you know, yeah. we just don't know what's going to happen. And, uh, and it actually doesn't go the way you think it's going to. <laughs> but, uh, I don't know. I, I just love that whole thing and trying to trying to run at the matchbox with the safety match <laughs> so that they could strike it and so on. It's just that's have just, you ever held one of these things? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Which again is another thing of the physics thing of you know we think about how many times we pick up a match not even thinking about it. Right, but if you're an inch tall, yeah. <laughs> so I know in final rating that I was not kind in our last one. So I'm going to be very kind in this one because while I was not the word that I was in the other one, which was bored, I had fun with this one. I learned something. It challenged my perceptions. So I'm going to give it the classic 4.2. 4.2. That's what I am. Clarence Brown, final rating. I'm going to give it a 5. I think this is one of these episodes like you don't have to know much about Doctor Who. Um, it's, if you know, if you like sci- sci-fi, you can just watch this and enjoy. So yeah, five. I That's right. It. Yeah. Yep. And you know, it's five giant dead ants from me. Oh, we did. We forgot to say what kind of what. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I'm gonna say four point two staring cats. Yes. All right. Ooh. I'm going to say five matches a striking. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> now it's 12 days of Christmas. Yes. There you go. And five giant dead ants from me. <laughs> and a partridge in a pear tree. So, so the cat was staring at mm. the striking matches who was about to make a funeral pyre of the dead ants. Right. There you go. There you go. What a what a merry scene that is. <laughs> yeah. Merry, merry. So, what is merry and bright and all good things is closing our closing that we always do hmm. that we've done for five years now and hopefully for five and five and five 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 mores in the future. I will say, Lee Shackelford, what are you watching, or where else might you be found on the internet? While we were last in the UK, my wife and I discovered a play that's been running for a long time, but I hadn't heard about it, called The Play That Goes Wrong. Mm. And 
you don't have to be a theater person to enjoy and love uh, the this kind of humor, but it is the the whole concept of the show is that. Uh, the, this theater company is trying to put on a murder mystery, but everything that can conceivably goes wrong, go wrong, goes wrong. And they, they keep soldiering on. They keep insisting on saying the lines, even when the set is literally falling down around them. And it is just pants wettingly hilarious. And we just discovered that a few years ago, that same team, uh, did, started a TV show. That's called the goes wrong show. And so having discovered that thanks to prime video, we are watching that and just screaming with laughter. I just can't recommend highly enough. If that's your kind of humor, the goes wrong show. Mm. Interesting. Check it out. All right. Clarence Brown. What say you? I'll keep this simple. Um, if you have Disney Plus, check out The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Very much enjoyed the first episode and can't wait for the next. Mm. So I will say I second what you just said, Mr. Brown. And I will say I look forward to discussing with hopefully the two of you where I will be eating crow perhaps about a certain Justice League and my opinion of the works of Mr. Snyder. I do have thoughts, and I would love to talk about them. But if you would like to hear what we are all talking about, you can go to, since I'm not going to mention RelativityPodcast.com, <laughs> I will say, yeah. please check out DiscussingNetwork.com. You'll be able to find all of our shows in our network. And as always, for everyone listening, thank you. We appreciate your time, and we will be back next time you've been listening to the discussing network find out more at discussingnetwork.com